You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, the official podcast of the Coastal LA Singles Ministry, where our focus is reaching up, reaching in, and reaching out. I wanted to take a moment to introduce some really great people who are here tonight to speak to us. Um, And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Tim and Nancy Priestley have become... (laughs) have become uh, very, very dear friends of mine. I can't say enough about both of them. They're extraordinary people. They're an extraordinary couple. I've loved even um, reaching out together with Nancy. We've had some very fun times sharing uh, our lives with our friends. But I wanted to share a little bit about them in case you don't know them. They've been married for 16 years. See, Mary's come back. Um, They have two kids, 11-year-old Alex, who's amazing, and 5-year-old Boston, who's also amazing, and they live in Culver City. Tim was baptized 31 years ago. Yes, and he's only 40. No, (laughs) in Colorado. Um, He got a computer engineering degree from Boston University, so he's super smart. Um... And he's been part of the West region since 1996. He also currently owns his own consulting business called Accent Gold Solutions, which is in Culver City. So he's smart and, you know, together. Um, (laughs) Nancy was baptized 20 years ago when she was three in L.A. um, She went to college on a full ride volleyball scholarship. Who knew? Did you guys know? Nancy's volleyball. Um, She attended Montana State and Cal State LA. Um, She's been educated in Montessori school education. So she currently works with her husband at Accent Goal, and she's amazing. So without further ado, let's give a warm welcome to Tim and Nancy Priestley. So, thank you. Am I on here? Ah, good. Well, thank you guys for having us. Uh, Actually, Marco invited us about a month ago to uh, come and speak. This is a topic that we love, uh, though we're far from experts on it. I think uh, we're always trying to grow in being emotionally healthy in our spirituality. So how many of you guys have uh, got the book and, and at least started reading it? Okay. Oh, that's excellent. Okay. I encourage that. It's such a good book, and it kind of hits on a lot of different topics um, in, in just a way that piques your interest. You want to get more into it, and, uh, and it really can uncover some uh, unhealthy ways of thinking so that you can start changing the way that you think. So um, anyway, I wanna, uh, we, we've got a lot of material actually to cover, so uh, this is the final week, I believe, of your series on Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. So we're covering two chapters, <clears throat> actually enlarging your soul through grief and loss, <clears throat> and then uh, a little later on we're going to be covering uh, the rhythms of the daily office and the Sabbath. So... Now, I understand that last week the, the men and women kind of split up, right? And uh, the women got to hear from uh, Bianca, Deanda, and uh, Priscilla De Leon, right? Priscilla, you're here, right? 
And is Bianca here? All right. So anyway, you guys can kind of help uh, me understand because uh, they, I believe, presented on the same two chapters. So I think there's a little snafu, which is okay. Um, we found out last night that they uh, presented on these chapters. And so, um, so I just wanted to kind of get a picture, perhaps, of what they covered if for, for the sisters out here so that we know kind of, you know, where to, to aim our presentation tonight. So did um, Bianca talk about, sisters, uh, Job? And did she talk about how Job um, was a man with massive losses in his life that, that caused him to rethink about who is God and where is God when I'm hurting? Did she talk about that? Uh, okay. So I'm going to go ahead and... <laughs> Did, did she mention that two-thirds of the Psalms are actually laments, which means that the early Hebrews, part of their worship was grieving with other people. Did she mention that? All right, all right. All right. So did she happen to mention that Jesus wept, which means that God grieves along with us. Okay. All right. Now, did, did Priscilla happen to mention that our bodies and our minds actually have to physiologically slow down at times to keep our health, mental health? She didn't? Okay. Uh, all right. She didn't happen to do, like, any, like, breathing exercises that help you get centered? All right, so, you know, we don't have a lot to talk about tonight, <laughs> but, but we're so grateful to be with you guys. We're grateful. We love the singles. Um, no, now, actually, last night when we found out, uh, we, we did actually listen to the podcast, which you guys have awesome podcasts. Did you guys, have, has anyone listened to your podcast? I don't know who puts those together, but they are the most professional things. And so we were able to listen to incredible presentations on very difficult topics. So first, I recommend for the brothers who didn't hear, go to the podcast and listen. These two sisters, Bianca and Priscilla, are both therapists or therapists in training. And so they deal with these topics a lot. They are far better experts than, than we are, honestly. And they did an incredible job at very difficult topics. So I just encourage you to go to those uh, podcasts. Um, so anyway, last night as my wife and I were rewriting our material <laughs> so that we could add to the story rather than just, you know, rehashing everything, we kind of hit a bump yeah. at 2 a.m., and um, we realized that we actually just needed to just slow down and breathe. Yeah. <laughs> and then we needed to just grieve the loss of our original lesson. <laughs> and, and it was good. We, we were applying we it. What, we what we're going to present to you. So, so a little of this might be just kind of um, a little old school for the sisters. We're trying to catch the brothers up right now. And then we'll get into some stuff. So... 
uh, enlarging your soul through grief and loss. Um, grief, defined, says grief is the normal and natural reaction to significant emotional loss of any kind. It includes conflicting feelings caused by the end of or change in a familiar pattern or behavior. So this uh, can cover a lot of different things. And so death is the, the most common thing that we think of when we talk about grief. But divorce, moving a ministry, um, a breakup, failure of some kind, a job loss, or even a job promotion is something, it's a change. And so there's loss of the old way of doing things. Um, the estrangement from a friend. Um, what did I just do? Okay. A shattered dream, moving to another location, or disappointment. These are just common things that cause loss in our life. But loss may not be just a divorce or a marriage that you had. It, it may um, be a day or a weekend when your kid comes home from the ex-spouse and they come home, they're disrupted, they're depleted of energy, and it just magnifies the loss of a marriage and a family. It's just not the way it's supposed to be. Or maybe a good friend just got married and you find that the talks you used to have, the, the times you used to hang out just don't happen much anymore. That's a loss. Or perhaps you're in a really cool small group or great ministry that felt like family and then the leaders changed or the structure changed and now it's just not the same as it used to be. These are losses that we experience. And as Americans, our society, our culture has trained us just to get over it, right? Uh, just move on kind of ignore the negative feelings. This is our American culture. Now, deeper in a discipleship church, we're trained, I think in a right way, that God has a plan, right? God has a plan in this. But while true, too often we feel like we have to know what that plan is right now. And we try to fit our ideas of what God's plan must be into this situation. And so it, it kind of puts God into a box, and we don't really feel the feelings. Also, another thinking in discipleship church is this, God always works for the good, which is so true, but yet our idea of what a good thing is can be different from what God's intended blessing may be through the tears. So anyway, our ideas oftentimes just promote don't look at the bad, don't think of the bad, don't feel the bad, just go quickly to the good, the positive, the real purpose. Um, and I think that can be unhealthy. And if you read the chapter, you see, you know, we don't, when we don't process the pain, there's a, a, a statement among, you know, some uh, therapy professionals that says hurt people hurt people so when you're hurting but you don't really deal with it you can intentionally or unintentionally hurt other people um, also 
when we don't really fully grieve, we can just down deep get bitter or get cynical about things. Uh, we can also experience just guilt if I had only just done something differently. Um, it's also easy for loss, big-time losses, to become the center of our lives, all that we focus on or think about. Our lives become all that we don't have, right? Unresolved grief is cumulative, and it's cumulatively negative. Um, how many uh, mental health professionals do we have in here? Yes, okay, a couple, three, four. Okay, so thousands of mental health professionals have been polled, and, and you guys can probably attest to this, that they found that although their clients will come to them with other, some other presenting issue, more often than not, they have some kind of unresolved grief that it's really the underlying problem. An incomplete past may doom our futures. Many people after alter their life choices after a series of unresolved issues. This is done to maybe protect themselves from future heartbreak, and usually it just translates to living a guarded life and a reluctance to participate fully in relationships or new endeavors. Um, grief, it's not clinical depression. But a recent study of, I think, 8,800 clients found that a large portion of the people that, diagno that were diagnosed with clinical depression that were given um, antidepressants are actually not clinically depressed. They're actually just experiencing some form of unresolved grief due to prior issues in their lives. A lot of times when we don't deal with grief properly, it gives what we call short-term energy-relieving behaviors. STURBS. Have you guys heard this before? All right. So substance abuse, alcohol, drugs, overeating, pornography, these are ways of acting out when we don't want to feel the pain. These become the distractions addictions. So what does it mean to grieve properly? The chapter is titled, um, It Enlarges Our Soul. So this is kind of a deep spiritual thing that's actually good uh, within grief. There are no absolutes, though, in grief. Um, this is something that Bianca was saying last week. There, there's just no format. There's no blueprint for grief or how it's supposed to go. There's no reactions even that are so universal that all or even most people will experience them. Grief is just not that way. Now, you've heard of there's the five stages of grief, but it's actually technically the person who did that, uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, her work was on death and dying. So it's really the five stages of death and dying. Um, so there's just no neat categorization for grief when we go through it. So, but biblical grieving, and I'm just going to give a little overview. Healthy biblical grieving goes through this. It causes us first to pay attention. So, grief is an loss is an interruption in your life. And if you 
choose, it is something God is trying to interrupt you for. So the first step is just to pay attention. Okay, something's going on. I need to pay attention out here, but I also need to pay attention in here. The second point, wait in the confusing in-between. There are so many psalms that talk about grieving or lamenting, that talk about just waiting on the Lord. And sometimes you read that and go, wait, what does that mean? Well, when you're going through loss and grief, you're just wanting something new. Oftentimes, we just need to get centered. And and the Bible instructs us, sometimes there comes a point we need to wait in that confusing in-between time. I don't know what's going on. I don't need to know what's going on right now. Embrace the gift of limits. Any loss teaches us that we have limits. There are things we can't do that we just aren't enabled to do. And so you become acutely aware as a single mom of the limits that you have. You just want to be able to be there for the kids. It's so hard. There are so many limits that we have as humans. Embrace the gift of limits. Um, Climb the ladder of humility. Uh, St. Benedict actually had this uh, several-step ladder, he called it, of humility. And and in the handouts you get tonight, I kind of detail that. But it's it's just a brilliant essay of starting with little baby steps of humility to the point where you're really embracing a full um, uh, evolution of your ability to love and experience God's love. So uh, climb the ladder of humility, and then let the old birth the new in his time. So when you experience the loss, when you understand your limits, then you can truly go to a new area. But so many times we just want to go to the new too quickly, and and we, we shortcut God's process for teaching us depth. All right, so um, Nancy right now is going to share her story and give kind of a scriptural journey to uh, grieving. So I I wanted to share with you a bit about me as someone who became a Christian at the age of 20. And I came to church one Sunday, studied the Bible every day, and got baptized the very next Sunday. Uh, My life radically changed. I quit my job dancing in a nightclub, broke up with my boyfriend um, who didn't came to church with me and didn't want anything to do with God. Um, I, I stopped doing all the things that Christians shouldn't do, let's just say that. Um, and so uh, it was very obvious that um, my life needed to be different. I was open with strangers about things I had never been open about before. Yet, there, were a, there was a lot of emotional healing that I needed to do, and that doesn't change in a week. <laughs> so sadly, because of this, I didn't know how to handle uh, my disappointments or the high expectations I put on myself and now being a Christian. And uh, a year later, after that point, I attempted suicide uh, for the first time in my life as a Christian, a Christian who knows hope, what hope really means. I was hopeless. And had no idea um, the real disconnect 
um, inside my heart of the joy that was set before me because it was cluttered with all the complications of my past um, from where I came from. And so I want to really share and encourage you uh, from the prophet Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations to give you a healthy example of going through grief and loss. So I will read with you Lamentations 3, uh, 1 through 9. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I cry out or uh, call out or cry out for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. I mean, here he's talking about God, right? We would think these comments are more about Satan or a really bad friend in your life. I don't know. But this prophet is talking about the God that he represents. And I'll read on uh, here in verse 10. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughing stock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped for, hope from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them. And my soul is downcast within me. See, grief isn't something that you can really understand unless you've kind of partaked in it. And uh, here Jeremiah is obviously in despair. You can see the Bible describe it really well. And I want to point out a few things about the prophet Jeremiah, uh, because he wrote this lament during the destruction of Jerusalem in the hands of the Babylonians. This was, um, which meant to him that everything that he loved was in chaos. And uh, especially everyone that he loved was taken into captivity. So Jeremiah is expressing grief, I think, in the most appropriate way, not cleaning it up to make it look like like he's a strong guy and he's okay before God, but he was really honest. And so this lament being in the Bible tells me something very special and securing about God. The next slide. It tells me that God's goodness is wide enough to accommodate my grief. So, amen, right? Because you see, God gave us this book, right, that has all these great victories and triumphs and um, just all these promises, but in there he also has tragedy, right? Tragedy that in, in, with it, in the same way he says, but I am God and I can handle it, that you may be upset, but I'm not upset. You may have given up on me but I'm not going to give up on you, right? Because 
There's a special place in God's love and in his heart when you're going through grief. It's powerful. And here in Lamentations, I think even verse 1 stands out to me when he says, I am the man who has seen affliction. Because usually we use that term in a positive way. I'm the man, or he's the man, or she's got it going on. Um, And you see, Jeremiah did receive a very special calling from God. Uh, It's recorded in Jeremiah chapter 1. And I want to point this out because we're meeting Jeremiah when he was at the bottom. Um, When he's going through a lot of suffering, when he's been disappointed, um, and he's saying, I am the man who has seen affliction. Uh, But I also want you to understand that he is the man that has a great calling from God. And let me just read this to you, uh, Jeremiah 1, 4 through 5. Uh, I don't think it's on there. But uh, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I pointed you as a prophet to the nations. Wow, right? Jeremiah is the man that God called in his youth, that God appointed um, before he was born. And so how do we see him now in Lamentations 3 where he says, I am the man who is afflicted and my eyes are filled with tears. My heart is full of sorrow. And here's what you need to realize. Because you have a great calling on your life doesn't mean you won't go through times of grief and struggle and deep pain or depression. Because what I've actually seen are people that have a great calling from God have to go through a lot. They usually have to go through the most because God wants to be what God needs to be for them. And he wants to do with them what God needs to do with them. Um, So don't think that just because you're going through a hard time that God cannot use you when you grieve. Um, I mean, I personally try to avoid extremes, but I do have high highs and low lows. Um, But if God's going to raise you up, you know, sometimes he's got to bring you down really low, really low. And we see this in Jeremiah when he says, I am the man who God spoke to and said, I have appointed you as prophet to the nations. But I'm also the man who doesn't even know where God is right now. So back in Lamentations 3, verses 8 through 18, it it is a great snapshot of what you feel like when you're embracing grieving and loss. Uh, You can feel like God isn't with you. He doesn't hear your prayer. Right? Am I the only one? (laughs) You guys feel this, right? (laughs) Probably feel this even when you're not grieving sometimes. Um, but, But you know Jeremiah didn't think that. He's the prophet. He's faithful. He's a mighty man of God. His theology knows that God is sovereign. God is good. That's in his DNA, right, of who he is. But he's gotten to the point where he says, God, you don't even hear me anymore. And he's not only to the point where he's complaining about his circumstances, but he's putting the blame on God. So the next slide. Um, And I know Bianca went through this. She did a great job sharing Uh, the common defenses that come up when we need to deal with our grief. So I won't go through that. You can read that also in your book. Um, But just know this, that that all these things are really great deceptive tactics of Satan with the goal to get you to doubt God's goodness and God's greatness. Um, I I don't know why things happen. When I came in here tonight, 
Um, one of my friends even shared how she's now, her husband left, and she's going through a divorce now. And uh, I've had other close friends go through divorces uh, here in the church. And so I just, um, I know that messes sometimes with our belief system and who we think God is or who we need him to be. Um, but I know for sure that God is good. And you've got to believe that <laughs> together with your support system, right? That's a safe place to get through this together. Um, I'll end my thoughts here in Lamentations 3, 21 and 22. says, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. I just love this so much uh, because actually in verse 20 he says, I well remember my sorrows and afflictions. And then here in verse 21 he says, Yet this I call to my mind. Jeremiah says, I'm in a hopeless situation, but I have hope. My situation doesn't seem like it might change in my lifetime, but I am holding on to God's love. I have to. Right? I have to know that God's goodness, not to override my feelings, not to get through not dealing with things, but to help you process your grief and your pain. And, uh, you know, we, we really have to, I don't know why we don't train our minds even more, but I know that's another Bible story, uh, a lesson. <laughs> um, you've got to call God's goodness to your mind. Command it. Here's the thought you're going to think today. Here's what God's word says about you, and you're going to believe it. And you're going to hold on to that no matter what you're going through right now in your life. Because God is love. Amen? Verses 20 through, 22 through 24? Yes, okay. Last verses here. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. I have to sing this. Can you sing this with me? Can you guys sing this with me? We know this song. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will. She has never led a song before. (laughs) That was her first. Pure inspiration. There's a reason you don't see me Sunday morning on stage. (laughs) Amen. That's awesome. So uh, I really appreciate it. I mean, what my my wife shared, going through grief is always a disruption. It's disorienting and it's it's hard sometimes to figure out and um, there's a movie that came out about 20 some years ago that I want to show you a a few clips it's actually a true story um, of C.S. Lewis 
And uh, if you know C.S. Lewis, he was a, a, a writer who lived uh, mid-1900s. He was a, a professor at Oxford, um, an author. He wrote the books, the Narnia uh, Chronicles, and I uh, wrote some other books, uh, Mere Christianity and several other Christian books. Um, he was a lecturer, and um, he lived a life. He, he was a philosopher and just this brilliant man who thought through things in Christianity, who had gone through being an atheist to you know, converting again and really understanding uh, some of the deep ideas about God that today, 50, 60 years later, people read his writings and they're very meaningful. Um, so he lived his life and people honored him back then. And I'm going to kind of show you um, uh, a, a couple clips here. He talked about suffering and talked to it, but he intellectualized a lot of it. So I want to kind of show you this clip early in the story. The movie is called Shadowlands, and uh, again, it's, it's a story of C.S. Lewis. Let's see if that <laughs> Yesterday, I received a letter that referred to an event that took place almost a year ago now, December the 4th, 1951. My correspondent hadn't forgotten. I doubt if any of us have. That was the night a number one bus drove into a column of young Royal Marine cadets in Chatham and killed 24 of them. You remember? Now, the letter asks some simple but fundamental questions. Where was God on that December night? Why didn't he stop it? Isn't God supposed to be good? Isn't he supposed to love us? And does God want us to suffer? What if the answer to that question is yes? So I'm not sure that God particularly wants us to be happy. I think he wants us to be able to love and be loved. He wants us to grow up. I suggest to you that it is because God loves us that he makes us the gift of suffering. Or to put it another way, pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You see, we are like blocks of stone out of which the sculptor carves the forms of men, the blows of his chisel, which hurt us so much, are what make us perfect. Thank you very much. All right, so very powerful. And you, you just think, wow, that's it. But this is the beginning of his story. So he's an older man, and he would meet um, a woman who uh, was this feisty um, American Jewish Christian who, uh, you know, admired him, and they, they kind of got into a relationship. They became friends, and uh, she had a son, or two sons, actually. This story only depicts one. Um, and, and, but she was going through a divorce, and so, uh, but, but he started befriending her, and um, right after he befriends her, she gets cancer. And, um, and then he's starting to kind of reveal things that now he had only talked to. So this next scene is when he just dis has discovered that uh, his friend uh, 
uh, Joy is her name, has cancer. Yesterday, a friend of mine, a very brave, good woman, collapsed in terrible pain. One minute she was fit and well, next minute she was in agony. She's now in hospital and this morning I was told she's suffering from cancer. Why? See, if you love someone, you don't want them to suffer. You can't bear it. You want to take their suffering onto yourself. If even I feel like that, what doesn't God? Irish? Not good. I'm so sorry, Jack. I just want her to be well again, you see. Of course you do. We all do. What a dangerous world we live in, Molly. Well, you've been up all night. Why don't you get some sleep? No. So you see, he's starting to wrestle with these emotions that he had intellectualized before. Now he's not so sure. He's, why doesn't? God care? He's starting to ask these questions. Like C.S. Lewis, right? So uh, for the sake of time, uh, I think I'll just do one more. Uh, this is a really good one. Um, so he, he has a network of friends that kind of ask him questions. They're, they're trying to be good friends to him, but at times he just he kind of gets frustrated with them. You can, can kind of see that here. What news? Ah, good news, I think, Harry. Yes, good news. Very glad, Jack. Thank you, Christopher. Thank you. Christopher can scoff, but I know how hard you've been praying. Now God is answering your prayer. That's not why I pray, Harry. I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God, it changes me. So he's, his, uh, at this point, he's married um, to Joy. Once she came down with cancer, he went to the hospital and, and married her. And so she actually got better, so he was able to take her out of the hospital. And so this scene, he, you know, she's doing better. So God must be answering your, your prayers. He's like, that's, at this point, not why I'm praying. I just can't help it. So you see, God is changing this man who thought he had God figured out. And um, uh, the next scene, I mean, he just, you know, they start saying, you know, after she she dies, um, they say, you know, sorry if you want to see the movie, but it's a true story. You, you, you know, it, it happened. Um, she dies, and he's just wrestling with God. 
And, you know, he goes out in public and they say, well, you know, God is good. And he just, no, I can't handle it. And, um, and so finally, let me see, I'll skip the next scene here. So finally at the end, um, this is uh, kind of the closing scene. Only the life I've lived. Twice in that life. I've been given the choice. As a boy. And as a man. The boy chose safety. The man chooses suffering. The pain now is part of the happiness then. That's the deal. So he kind of resolves himself, but it, it, it was a journey that he had to go on. The suffering, the pain that he had always thought about, he then had to feel. And it was very real. And a man who we all, Christians for, for decades, have respected for his views of God, he had to enlarge that view through the suffering that he went through. Um, so um, uh, anyway uh, there are times that you may recognize in your life that you may need to go back and grieve a loss that you had previously experienced but never really processed the pain I think it's a very healthy thing to look back sometimes and say, wow, that really hit me hard. I never realized how much it affected me and affects me still and, and start processing the pain. Um, uh, it, it's, a, it's a very healthy thing to do. Sometimes we can do it by prayer. Sometimes it takes a network of friends. Sometimes it takes going to a professional and having them navigate those deep waters. Whatever it is, intentionally make the decision to do it, to process that pain, because it allows us to really move on, uh, and it expands our view of God. All right, so I want to quickly talk about um, the... Uh, oh, okay. Mm, okay. So I want to quickly talk about uh, the, the rhythms of the daily office and of the Sabbath. So um, we'll quickly go through, okay, there's some helpful statements that you can make to people. Basically, I can't imagine how you feel is a winner. When someone's going through this, you want to help them. I can't, don't say, I know how you feel. It doesn't help oftentimes when people are really wrestling with things. Um, unhel so unhelpful statements, you'll be fine in time, I know how you feel, and um, so on. Okay. <laughs> so don't say those. So anyway, I want to spend a little time on uh, discovering the rhythm of the daily office and the Sabbath. Um, okay, Genesis 28. I just want to read this passage real quick. 
Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely... The Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. So what's interesting here is that Jacob, he's kind of running away at this point from Esau, and he's alone, and he sleeps for the night just at some place called Luce. Luce means, actually, it wasn't Spanish, it was Hebrew. Hebrew means almond tree, almond tree, okay? So there's an almond tree, there's a, city, a little town, and he, and he goes down for the night. God causes him to have this dream, so that, and, and God gives them an incredible promise during this dream so that when he wakes up, he's, he's in awe. And, and so he says, the Lord was in this place, and I didn't know it. I was unaware. This, um, for centuries, rabbis have been referring to this as kind of, uh, the need to ha have an awareness of God's presence. Because for Jacob, he just laid down for the night, put a rock under his head. Only later would he understand God was here. But God wasn't just there. God is everywhere. We're just not often aware of it. And so coming to this awareness made Jacob go, well, this is no longer loose almond tree. This is Bethel, which means house of God. He renamed this place. He honored this rock he was sleeping on. He, he poured oil on it and set it up as a pillar of remembrance that this is what God was. When we see the places or the people or the events in our life, as a place where God has put us. When we become aware of God, it changes our life like it changed Jacob. There are a couple of habits that it talks about in this book that allow us to bring that awareness of God in a very intentional way into our lives. Um, the daily office 
is also called, uh, it's been around actually for, for centuries. It's not the office like the TV show. It's actually um, called the fixed hour prayer or the divine office or the lit- liturgy of the hours. Um, it's not so much just a turning to God as it's a time that you set aside in your day just to be with God. And it can be up to eight regular and distinct times throughout the day, even in the middle of the night, to spend time in prayer and meditation and scripture reading. It can be anywhere from two minutes to up to 45 minutes. And um, it's basically an interruption that you purposefully say, okay, at this time, I'm going to break whatever I'm doing, work, whatever, play, and I'm going to take a few minutes just be with God. Okay? These consistent mem- remembrances through the day allow us to consider God's presence in every aspect of our lives. Everything becomes spiritual. And when we create these kind of rhythms where we say, okay, I'm going to take some time at 10 or at 2 or at 8 p.m. or before I go to bed, we're, we're forcing an awareness of God through, through our day. There are four elements to um, the daily office. Stopping, okay, just interrupting what we're doing intentionally, centering ourselves, so breathing exercises. Silence, okay, silence. And then scripture. Okay, it can be one verse, it can be a few verses, but it's just trying to get your mind focused in a very meditative way. On God. Um, all right. Uh, last week I had dinner with an Episcopal priest, and um, he said that during the Easter week a, a couple weeks ago, he performed in that week before Easter 29 worship services. I said, "What? What do you? You know, that, that, is that 29 hours?" He's like, "No, no. Uh, most of those were actually daily offices that he would have at his church, and people could feel free to just stop by at different times during the day." And just spend time with God. And um, I said, well, you know, what kind of effect did that have on well, you and, and on the people? He said, it totally changed the culture of our church. It just made people more aware God is with us. And when they're coming together to do it, it changed our whole culture. So he took one week. And obviously not everyone made every service, although he said, but I did. Um, <laughs> And, uh, but when we do that, it helps us just to stay centered, more self-aware, and connected with God. Um, uh, then the next habit uh, that is covered in the book is the, the Sabbath. And a Sabbath was something that in the Old Testament, Ten Commandments, was a command of God to the Israelites to take one day, last day of the week, the Sabbath, and just rest. Do no work during this time. Just rest as I rested when I created the world on the seventh day, so I want you to rest as well. So we imitate God by stopping our work and resting. And while today we're not necessarily bound by the Old Testament, I do believe that we are created to need a time to stop, regular rest in our lives, and, of course, in America, it's very easy to get in the habit of just constant busyness, whether it's work or, 
even play can be a, a lot of work at times when we're just busy, so active. The Sabbath tells God, I'm going to stop this and just relax and focus. And here are the, the per, uh, a few purposes of the Sabbath are just, again, to stop, to rest, to delight in God, and to contemplate. Oops. Sorry about that. Um, so uh, there are some, the Seventh-day Adventists, who say even today that keeping the Sabbath is part of the law that, that we need to do. However, in, in, from my studies and understanding, it's not something we're bound to. I view it rather as a gift that God gives, that he invites us to receive, that enables us to gain a new perspective in some health and peace in our busy lives. Um, there's the example in the book of a wagon train uh, back in the 1800s of Christians who were traveling from St. Louis to Oregon. And uh, they were a bunch of Christians, and they would travel for six days, and they would rest on every seventh day. And uh, they were going through the fall, but as winter was approaching, they became a little nervous that they wouldn't be able to make it. And so what they proposed, well, well, let's just forget the Sabbath and, and really start you know, just going seven days a week so that we could, just so we can get there. But some of them decided, no, we want to keep the Sabbath. So they broke into two groups. One decided we're traveling seven days. One, dis one group decided, no, we're just going to you know, remain faithful to the Sabbath. Well, which group made it to Oregon first? Right? It was the Sabbath keepers because they were able to rest their horses, they were able to rest, and because they did, it made their travel much more efficient, and in the end, they, they won. So, uh, anyway, <clears throat> there was a study recently done, uh, actually a few years back, on the top areas on the planet where, they, uh, where people exhibit the longest life expectancy. So th there's a place in Italy, there's a place, I believe, in China, and one of those places was Loma Linda, California. It happens to be that there's a community, actually, with a strong population of Seventh-day Adventists. And so a part of their culture in Loma Linda is they, they reverently follow the Sabbath. And they have many uh, people that live to be 100. God designed our bodies to get regular rest. So, uh, in conclusion, while seemingly disconnected, these two chapters both deal with interruptions. There's the unintended interruption of loss and the intentional interruption of daily office and Sabbath. Um, suffering and loss, typically not something we choose, but something that happens upon us. But we can choose how we move through these times in our lives. Perhaps God's plans for these, uh, these times is that our view of him grows and changes. Our concept might have God in a box that needs to be opened up a bit. The daily office and Sabbath are intentional rhythms that we focus on making the presence of God a constant reality in our lives this also expands our view of God and helps us to better connect with Him. In my opinion, if you have a healthy spiritual journey in your life, how you view God today will be very different from how you view God in five years or ten years 
we can only hope that our eyes continue to open up. Um, This basically wraps up the series on uh, emotionally healthy spirituality. The goal of the book and the material and the series has been to get us more in touch with our own emotions and frame them in a spiritual context. To understand that God is emotional and so we should honor our own emotions because he put them there rather than relegating them as something that are just non-spiritual or non-essential. Our emotions are part of us. Once we become more in touch, once we become more self-aware, we're able to better understand and love other people. And that love becomes a more healing love. We can become non-anxious, self-differentiated presence in someone else's life. It allows us to promote better healing in them only when we've done the hard work and the intentional job at working on ourselves. May you see God's work in helping you expand your view of who He is. May you join your energies to creating a space so that you may hear His voice. Thank you guys. You've just listened to the Elevate Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit elevatecoastal.com.